We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome into the OBR Film Breakdown. This is a Valentine's Day edition. So, if you're a person who celebrates this holiday, happy Valentine's Day to you and your loved ones. And I uh, hope this pod finds you well. Sorry for yesterday taking the day off. Not technically, we did record something, but uh, my two kiddos here got sick. And overnight, when I usually edit, it just wasn't going to happen. We have one that deals with asthma and another one dealing with perpetual ear infections. And we're trying to navigate that. And that leads to some exhausting times. So I apologize for that. like to get these out every day if we can, um, but we couldn't. So we'll make the best of it. I welcome in Andrew. He's with me as usual, being uh, uh, patient as ever <laughs> with my chaotic schedule. What's up, Andrew? I mean, we're all busy. You know, I, you're, you, yours is, is chaotic is a good word for it because of the kids, but it, it's been busy for me too. Uh, went out and took my dad out, a little belated birthday uh, treat and and went out and had a very nice dinner in Asheville last night. So, um, yeah, you know, life, that, that's one of the things that I, I'm sure that everybody that listens to this can appreciate is that it's harder than you think to find time, find an hour in every day to sit down and talk football. Like it's, it's doable a few times a week, but there's, there are definitely days where we really struggle to find time to squeeze it in. So, uh, you know, I, I'm sure people are, uh, understand the, the unique nature of trying to put a show on, on a daily basis, but uh, yeah, I'm doing really well and, uh, starting to feel here anyway, that turn from deep winter to springs coming around. I'm starting to see some, uh, some greenness in a little bit of the grass. So, uh, fear not folks, uh, it's, it's coming. <laughs> we got the false spring in the Ohio. Now it's kind of like dipping back into the mid low forties. It's going to be a roller coaster, uh, a little bit of a roller coaster, right? But we will, uh, we'll survive. It's better than freezing temperatures every single day. So we're getting there, turn the corner. We're about to get the jump forward in the clock. That always helps. So instead of my kid getting up at five, it'll be six. It's a big fist pump moment right there. That's huge. Uh, it's, it really is. It'll take a week or so to get used to it, but it is huge. All right. On to Brown stuff. We've covered our families here. So uh, Ben Bloom is off to coach outside linebackers with the Titans. We learned that today. 
I think when we sort of heard the rumblings of a new defensive line coach and then they just hired one without any real direction of where Ben Bloom was going, it was hard for me to be like, he's just going to take some demotion and do something. It's kind of like Alex Van Pelt in a sense, not quite to the same degree, but oh, they're just replacing him and maybe he'll become like some other position coach that's not open. I, I just, I didn't really see a path to him sticking around. So I'm not surprised to see him go somewhere else. Uh, any thoughts on Ben Bloom leaving the Browns? I thought it was a strange hire last year when they made it. I, it was hard to be overly critical of it because the defensive line did play really well last year, but they obviously have been looking for an answer there, right? Because remember, was, I think it was two years ago that Chris Kiffin left and mm-hmm. was going to be co-DC at Ole Miss, and then he came back after yep, being in college for like two weeks. Yep. Uh, people this week, this year are all talking about the, the rigors of college, but like that we saw that last year, that was a pretty good sign. If you you go away to be a, a co DC at Ole Miss and you're like two weeks in recruiting, and you're like, nah, I'm going to come back and coach D line and have weekends again. Feels uh, like that's a trend there, right? We see like Chip sure. Kelly leaving a head coaching job to be an OC. I feel like we yeah. are going to see less people interested in the college realm, man. I, th- I, the way everybody talks about recruiting now, it's as if it never stops and that it's miserable. So, I get it, and yeah. I I'm not here to you know I I just think that's a, it's a trend that's going to continue. So I uh, my point with bringing up Chris Kiffin from two years ago is that they're they've been looking and they tried Bloom out in that role last year. Obviously, it didn't work one year, and he's he's gone. Jacques Cesaire, the guy that they hired, is I think more talented. You know, he's a he was an NFL defensive lineman. He's he had good success in Houston. I think that's a that's an upgrade for the Browns there. So. I think this probably is best for all parties concerned. It is interesting to finally see some Browns coaches end up getting other jobs this year where it's really started to kick into high gear. Tennessee and New England are the preferred destinations. Yeah, it's it, like this college stuff where you're you're talking about, you know, it used to be a day when a guy like committed and it was over, like people stopped recruiting him. Now it's like you get a commitment from a player and those other teams constantly recruiting him all the way up until he signs a dotted line. And then you sign a dotted line and then they're in the transfer port. Yeah. It sounds miserable, but yeah. Also uh, to what you said, they're good to see other Browns coaches, at least having some value around the league. We'll see if ultimately we revisit this after the season and regret any of the moves that they made because the Browns happened to get worse, but it might not be over Andrew. So there's like, this idea out here um, floated. And I want to make sure we're very careful with where this came from. Uh, it came from uh, like a college football account, CFB Focus. It said he's been told that current Ohio State linebackers coach and grad assistant James Laurinaitis is interviewing with the Cleveland Browns. No certain idea what the role would be. Uh, is a quick check of their team website shows a linebackers coach already in place, which we know, right? Those guys are already in place, but. It would be interesting, like Laurinaitis obviously started like get the idea of coaching. He went to Notre Dame with Marcus Freeman and then gets back to Ohio State, which, you know, obviously a place that he loved. But it wouldn't surprise me to see him having, like we just talked about, like hating this cycle because more and more coaches are going to hate the cycle and then wanting to get to the NFL where it's just different. It's less rigorous is probably I think NFL guys would tell you there's a more realistic offseason in place. So. I mean, I would be interested in Laurinaitis. I don't know the validity of this account, but I mean, like, again, these interviews and stuff spring up out of nowhere. And college football sourcing, it comes from a whole bunch of different places. There's no 
consistency in where this stuff happens. It's knows a guy who knows a guy type of stuff. So I think there's a chance that this is very true. And I'm at the like bare minimum here intrigued about like an assistant linebacker role or something like that, Andrew, that, that James Laurinaitis could do. He's be a nice career in the NFL. Um, obviously a fantastic collegiate linebacker. So, you know, what's not the worst thing in the world there to, to happen to get him around the organization. And I don't know, maybe there's a connection to Schwartz. I, I don't, I don't really know the history of uh, all of Laurinaitis' playing days, but there could be something there that brings him close to some coach on the current staff. Yeah, I, th- I think it's, I think it's clear from this report, the fact that Bloom was sort of quietly let go. I, I, it gives me the impression that the Browns are not done with the coaching staff. I mean, one one other reason to have that impression is they haven't announced it. They've announced some of the hires, but they have annou- not announced a completed coaching staff for the coming year. So that tells you that they're still tweaking things. I would expect there to be a few changes on the defensive staff as well, just based on the fact that Schwartz has had a year in the building now, knows what these guys can do. I think he probably was assessing some of these coaches. Like I said, they, you you move on from Bloom, replace him with somebody that gives more of what Schwartz wants in the role. And I'm imagining that's probably happening elsewhere, as well as adding more talent. Uh, before Ben Bloom was the defensive line coach, he was the defensive run game coordinator. So that's a role that perhaps James Laurinaitis could, could step into, something at the sort of the level below a position coach in terms of above quality control, but below position coach. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. I I think, yeah, it's, as you mentioned, kind of one rogue Twitter account reporting it, but it was somebody that saw Joe Flacco on a plane that started the uh, Joe Flacco to Cleveland stuff. And and that ended up being true. So at this point with Twitter, I just don't even know anymore how you, how you tell the difference between what's real and what's not. I, it's, it's the wild west out there, I guess is one way to say it. No, it is. And uh, I'm kind of trying to comb through as we're going through this to look for any immediate connections between Laurinaitis' playing days. But I, you know, I don't see anything that solidly connects anybody to him. It just could be an opportunity being in-state that came up or whatever. A ton of different ways that uh, that whole thing could come together. But yeah, I wouldn't be surprised either. I know you and I have talked about the idea, at least hoping the idea that a quarterback's coach happens, right? Something along those lines. Uh, adding uh, some more and again those will be like these aren't big decisions so adding some like offensive advisory roles or defensive senior assistants stuff like that those I think are things that we could see announced like you said so maybe maybe those sort of uh weird hires come out of nowhere but that would be a big loss for Ohio State who does lean into him for a lot of their recruiting stuff all right let's uh let's there's two things from the Super Bowl that we didn't get to talk about because we didn't do an open yesterday is the overtime stuff is like consistently being talked about 48 hours later. And I don't think the 49ers made the wrong choice. I really don't like if both teams score a touchdown, then it's sudden death. So the 49ers saying that we wanted the ball, you know, is it's simple to me understanding why they would go that way. Now the chiefs are like, I think it was Chris Jones who kind of came at that decision immediately after the game saying that, you know, we were we were hoping we could get that opportunity to get the football, you know, second so that we could go for two, which, again, that's fine. You, you know, you can do that. But like, I don't sit here and think Shanahan made some awful decision. And not, like, I get it. I'm trying not to be like a Shanahan defense guy here. right? He can do no wrong. But like, to me, it's a conversation you can have on the sideline with your guys. Like both teams get the football no matter how long it takes. 
and we're taking it first so that we have a chance if it goes to a third possession, we get it last. I don't think it's a big deal, and I think it's being dramatically overblown here, but I could, I'm could i willing to hear why I'm wrong on that. No, I mean, we could do the thing where we try and have an argument about this, but I don't think either of us think it matters that much. I, I think that I think we've both seen the same things, Jake. The statistics suggest that it's about a coin flip. I think somebody said it was like 50.29% better to take the ball first even. So, and that was, that was Brian Burke, I think with, with NFL uh, ESPN, I should say. And I think that was what he's, he said he ran 120,000 simulations or something like that. And it was Mm -hmm. like just a hair over a coin flip. So this whole debate is about not being able to talk about the actual football game because 99% of the football media doesn't know how to talk intelligently about the sport. So they have to boil down the entire game into one decision that they can pretend to understand. And the one they've decided to choose is this overtime taking the ball thing because it's a little juicy. There's the insinuation that maybe Shanahan wasn't prepared, which is obviously nonsense. And it, it you can reduce the whole complexity of a Super Bowl that two full teams of 100 people on each side of the ball spent two weeks preparing for, and it just comes down to one guy being like, we want the ball third or whatever he said. Like, yeah. I, I I get that it's it, it easily reduces all to this will they or won't they or yes or no, and, and then you can we can all yell at each other. But this is exactly why people don't find that stuff interesting because, to your point, it doesn't seem to have mattered. Here, here's what I would like to talk about with the Super Bowl. The more I've been thinking about it, through the end of regulation, the 49ers defense held the Chiefs offense Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, to 19 points. The 49ers had the best offense by DVOA in the 2023 NFL season, and they couldn't beat a team that scored 19 points in the regular, in the in a 60-minute period. Isn't that the story of the game here? Like, if you're going to criticize Kyle Shanahan for something, isn't it not having better options in the run game and, and only getting just over 100 yards rushing with uh, handed it off like 30-sometimes? 30 like... And and maybe that extends that you can have the Brock Purdy conversation or whatever. But with all the weapons that the 49ers have on offense, all of the money and draft picks that they've spent on a, a, assembling essentially a death star of offensive talent, and the best they can do is tie 19 points in the Super Bowl, score 20 points and you win. And it doesn't matter what happens in overtime. Like that to me is is what's not being talked about is this is the best offensive line in the game. I think most people think that. They have a... a you can say what you want about the quarterback, but they have an unbelievable collection of offensive skill talent and the chiefs held them to 19 points. You've, you've talked a lot this offseason or postseason about Steve Spagnuolo and the job that he's done. That's the story of the game. Because if you, if I told you ahead of, of time, the chiefs are scoring 19, you're taking the 49ers a hundred percent, a hundred times out of a hundred. If you, you know, the chiefs are scoring 19, you're taking the 49ers to win that game. No, there, there's no doubt. That's a great, that's a great point. There's, Again, to me, it's it's fascinating looking back at like the outcome of the schematic stuff. How well KC was able to 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 put together rush plans and play man. And when I when I look at that, I see that the Browns did a very similar thing. A lot of low hole sitter, high hole sitter stuff, playing man to man. And the only effective player for the 49ers offense, really effective, was Jawan Jennings. Like you couldn't get Ayuk or Debo or anybody. Like you know, CMC had some moments. George Kittle was erased. So, yeah, those are the moments that really matter. And I do think on the other side of the football, that Dre Greenlaw injury was huge, right? Like, 
you know, a thing I keep going back to is hearing players talk about like, okay, I'm trying to make sure I articulate this the right way. There's a very flat line. Like if there's a curve of quality NFL coaches and I'm talking the range of position coaches to coordinators, to, to, to head coaches, there's a very flat line. And then there are some that just go above it. And like, when you see an NFL player talk about their position coach or head coach or coordinator, like really lighting the bulb for them, doing something unreal. There's a really cool quote from Radio Row from Puka Nakua, who you should go find talking about the way McVay treated like walkthroughs, how he would talk them through everything they're going to do. Here's the motion. Here's why the motion works. Here's what the guards indicators are. Here's how you have to be coming off the line of scrimmage. You have to be flat two steps to take the outside backer or the safety coming down in the run fit to give the right guard the ability. Like the more of that stuff you hear, the more you know that your coaches need to do that and enlighten your players with the same type of knowledge. And the players are never hesitant to talk about it. Anytime those savant type things reach them, they will regurgitate it and share it and typically give credit to a coach for helping them figure that out. So like you need more of that stuff all the time. And like what struck me about Kansas city was there's like now starting to be some mic'd up stuff out there and the green law injury is mic'd up. And from the 49er side, it's awful. You hear like for, you know, Fred Warner scream, no, when he gets hurt, it's just is very gut wrenching to see that, you know, Shanahan's walking on the field. Like, did he really get hurt just running on the field? And George Kittle's back there. Like, did we really lose him? It was, it was jarring because Dre Greenlaw is the enforcer of that defense. Games he didn't play this year, Cleveland, Minnesota. I think those two games are pretty important on the win-loss column for them. He matters. So when he's out, you see Patrick Mahomes talking to Matt Nagy. Hey, 57's down. They picked on Oren Burks, and guess who started to get loose over time? Just more, just more leverage-based zone stuff against Oren Burks. Now, a lot of what the 49ers tried to do are so, – yeah, 49ers with Warner tried to do against, um, you know, Travis Kelsey was a lot of different man-to-man bracket things and being creative with Fred Warner. But, like, in general, like, what I'm getting at is the ability for your offense to adapt on the fly the way the Chiefs were able to to get more consistency after Greenlaw went out. And just hearing more and more of these players talk about their coaches in this way, Andrew, that is like, they do this thing. They helped me here. Here's what they did. And like, that's the single most unique thing about Radio Row. You get all of these guys after their season is completed, except for the Super Bowl guys. But even the Super Bowl guys will share. Like, there was a really great question asked to, um, was it, was it, uh, to Sean Gibson, the 49er safety, former Brown, all that stuff, asking him about a very specific play playing invert two against the Lions. And he goes into such great detail talking through how that all works, what they did, why they did, what he keyed on, how Fred Warner triggered it. You'll get that out of those guys too. But what you get after the season are these players who are like mentally drained and they're, they're asked to recap their season and they will give credit to coaches for doing certain things. And like, that's something I need to hear more of from Brown's players, both sides of the football is the X's and O's stuff that really unlocked either their ability, their next level, or here's what we did to disrupt someone. And I'm not saying it doesn't happen. I'm not here to say the Browns don't have those guys, but like you hear players 
talk about the 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 the, the top play callers and, and coordinators and head coaches out there. I like the more I think about this, Andrew, the Andy Reid, Shanahan, McVeighs of the world are so important. They're doing this at a graduate master's doctorate level here. And you like those are the things that help differentiate when the margins shrink, when players get really tight, right? Knowing to go back to that, you know, corn dog motion stuff that they used last year in the right moment at the right time because they figured out that this play action off of their um, split zone is killing the 49ers. They're playing man off of it. Patrick Mahomes has run multiple times. He comes off of that fake. They run what they call the X shuttle. They send him in and back out. They call the damn play Tom and Jerry. And it works. Like, this is the stuff. Like, it's just, it's mentally putting such a burden on the defense and being able to do that in game with gimmicky stuff. Like, it's gimmicky stuff, but it makes, it challenges the rules that the defense has in place and makes them uncomfortable. So, like, I think the Browns have done some great things on offense and they're getting there, but they need to really, like, understand rules of defenses and put them in hell. That's what I would like to see more of this year. Can you take those rules and put them in hell? Can you do the same thing on defense more consistently and have more answers? Because the baseline man-to-man stuff, you know, they're invert to some of that. It's it's fine. But can they come up with more answers this year to confuse defenses? That's what I that's what I'd like to see. That's my expectation for what's coming up ahead. I think it's a great pivot based on what we saw in the Super Bowl and a, and a good reminder that it's the conversation that we had right after the game, right? With with Mahomes and Reed, you kind of know what the standard is if you're going to try and win a championship in, in this era, right? That that any any player that's currently on the Browns roster, if they want a Super Bowl in their careers, they're going to have to go through Mahomes and Reed, right? So the Browns have to find a way to get to that level. And I, I think that as much as we both like Kevin Stefanski as an offensive coach, I think I think it's I think it's clear after four years that he's not on that level. And so now it be, that's part of the reason I think that Ken Dorsey is in the building. Can you create that ability, that offensive system in the aggregate? Other teams have in the past. It doesn't have to be a singular genius to make this stuff work. It, it can be a, a group effort, but it does feel like increasingly there are there are certain coaches that are operating offensively at a, at a sort of a different level. I think you could even really throw the Lions in there with what Ben Johnson has been doing, which is why where he ends up becoming a head coach is such an interesting question because if you had to pick one guy that isn't a head coach currently that's in that tier, it's him. So, And like Lou Anarumo was doing some of that with the Bengals defense totally. in recent years. Like, yes. It's not isolated to the no very well-known geniuses of the NFL, but – you need to hear you need to hear your guys talk about it. I think that if you want to get into that tier, your guys got it. Your guys coaching have to be able to do. And I think I feel like Andrew, you and I talked about it last year before the season. I want moments where the Browns out coached people. I want that to be evident. Not things broke their way or they were gritty. And we got a lot of those, and those are fun. But I also like hearing that the Browns did these three things that they just didn't have an answer for on the opposing sideline. Those are the those are the things. Yeah, I, I and I think there were moments like that. I, I would say some of the stuff that Kevin Stefanski was doing to the Jaguars is a game that jumps out to me. Mm-hmm. But I, there's also the fact that like the Jaguars literally imploded down the stretch and ended up missing the playoffs, right? So like 
there's there's a an aspect of that which is just like everybody was getting those wins against them. But I, I do think that they have those opportunities the, the way that they have traditionally played the Bengals better than a lot of teams, I think fits into that category. But I, I think you're right. I think there's another level for this coaching staff to get to. Right. And the reason I wanted to invoke the Ben Johnson thing is because if you're not in that level uh, you're and you don't think you can get there, you're going to be chasing those guys. And I, th- I think we both think that there's going to be an Andrew Barry and a Kevin Stefanski extension. But one of the things that kind of – we haven't talked about this, but has come away f- from this coaching cycle is that the next offseason would be a really, really good year to be a team needing a head coach because of some of the guys that didn't get a job this cycle. I'm, I'm just placing that gently into our future vision because I, I don't think – you don't give a head coach an extension with the idea that you're going to fire him next year. But it's very clear how much of this is hinging around – Deshaun Watson working out and where that's going. I'm just saying from a larger franchise perspective, you've got Bill Belichick, Mike Vrabel, Ben Johnson, all available to to be head coaches next year. It's it's kind of a historic amount of coaching talent. Yeah, it, there have been rumblings that there's an extension coming for, for Barry and Stefanski, but until they sign it, you're always looking. I mean, you're just, you're always thinking ahead. It's what you do when you cover the team, you know, look at the big picture. And there, you know, when Haslam and, deep Podesta or whoever he trusts the most that's away from those two guys they're sitting down talking about these things so um it's not speculation it's just honest discussion about what's out there what's available and what should we do do we believe in these guys over these potential others it's not a harmful conversation to ever have right so you know to, to this year's point it's the can can there be some sort of sim, uh, synergy between Kevin Stefanski and Ken Dorsey that elevates both of those coaches to the next level because I do think they're complementary. I don't think that they're overlapping a lot. I think they, what Stefanski has majored in in terms of play action, under center run game derived offense, and then what Dorsey's done, there's 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 complementary stuff here. And I think there's a chance if these guys really mesh well that they can do all the things that we want them to be able to do. Yeah, I'm with you. And that's going to be the thing that we're watching most this year. We were watching it the most last year. We're going to watch it more this year because they have actually put an emphasis on it. The thing we hesitated on last year more than anything was it's the same people. It's the same guys, same thought process. They could change it, but it'd be hard pressed to see them coming, becoming something different that quickly. Now it's completely different. So the expectation is sitting there that they should be different. If they roll out an exact copy paste of what they did last year with all of these new faces, I mean, that's, and is about as disappointing as it gets. Yeah. It would be jaw dropping. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Jaw dropping. I'm with it. I'm with it. All right. We're going to shift over to our conversation about offensive tackles from 2023 position review and look ahead. A lot of good stuff to talk about. there. really important position group with a lot of moving parts for the upcoming season. So we'll do a little bit of a look ahead as well. So stick around for that right after a word from our sponsor. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Buying tickets to your favorite events should not be stressful, guys. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and concerts near you. You can find them last minute with killer deals, and their best price guarantee helps you stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for all the fun you've had. So why would you go Game Time? They have flash deals, last-minute tickets. They're easy to find. Buy tickets for every kind of event in your area, specifically those Cleveland Browns. You get great images of the seats view which is awesome when you're trying to figure out how the stadium is going to look when you're trying to find that right ticket for the right price. And they have that low price guarantee and event cancellation protection, job loss protection, all of the stuff to help you protect your money, right? It's the fastest growing ticket app for a reason in the country. You get images of your seats. Like I said, before you buy them, you buy tickets in a matter of seconds and they're sent directly to your phone. All right. So you never have to go digging through your email to find something last second. It is always there. You can put them in your wallet app and make sure to have them up and ready to go. It's important to know you can download that game time app, which makes it extremely easy, very intuitive, very fast way to buy those tickets, create an account and use the promo code OBR for $20 off your first purchase. Again, terms apply. Again, create that account, redeem the code OBR for $20 off. You can do so at GameTime.co. It is not .com, it is GameTime.co, but I would suggest downloading that app, taking advantage of the $20 off coupon using the promo code OBR. Download GameTime today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Okay, so next up we're going to look at offensive tackles in the review of 23. Guys who played considerable amount, considerable amount of time, uh, as we know at the very beginning, you had starters, although again not a considerable amount of time for um, Jack Conklin. Only had 15 pass blocking snaps on the year in that that first game, so tough to really consider Jack at the top of the realm here of, of review. So we'll kick Jack out and really review Dewan Jones and Jedrick Wills, who had 400 and let me see, make sure I got this right, 419 pass block snaps for Dewan Jones. Jedrick Wills, 319. In the uh, what they allowed metrics, we had 21 pressures allowed by Dewan Jones, 29 by Jedrick Wills, three sacks each for those guys, 11 games for Dewan, eight games for Jedrick Wills. Then in the guys who had to come in and play and fill out the role, James Hudson played in 14 games. He played 369 pass blocking snaps, and then Jerron Christian played 440 pass blocking snaps in 10 games. So um, Jerron Christian allowed 39 pressures, five sacks. Hudson, 36 pressures and five sacks. So long story short, Andrew, you're looking at like if you combine these two guys into one, 60 pressures for each side, 65, 70. It's, it's a failure. But I think you have to also grade the secondary guys here on a sliding scale, which I think – We've tried to articulate that throughout the year. You know what I mean? For sure. It's, you can't you can't look at this just as how they played. You have to think about the situation they were put in. And I have kind of different standards actually for the two backup tackles because Jaron mm-hmm. Christian is joining a team midseason. He's was never supposed to be a, a, a starting player this year for the Browns. 
They had even gone out and added Ty and Seki, and then he suffers a, a sort of freak biceps injury. So it's truly last man up stuff from him. And I think he was not good, but he was also not so bad that they had to keep looking for other options. So I, I don't know. I almost feel like the st- the stability piece, he was below average, but he sort of stayed there and he never really cratered in the way that you see with us. Other offensive linemen will sometimes they'll be holding on every play or they'll be, their feet will get so sped up that they'll, they'll just turn into almost a turnstile and you can't play them. They kind of become unplayable. He never dipped to that level, even though it was, it was hard. It was, it was hard to watch, but it wasn't. So I think he deserves some credit, honestly, considering the situation he was put into James Hudson. I think it's a little bit different because this is his third year in Cleveland. He has had plenty of time to kind of be the best version of himself that they thought he could be when they drafted him in the fourth round. He was always a project because he was converted from defensive line. And I think we've both kind of said that we think he might long-term in the NFL be a guard, a backup guard prospect, more than a backup tackle prospect. But I thought that was more disappointing from an organizational standpoint to have a guy who's in his third year on your roster who has played previous years, has gotten enough experience that he should know what to do, and he was more of a liability even than Jerron Christian, or at least at the same level, that felt more like a failure. So that's the that's the one that really sticks with me in terms of I I am not I'm not able to get over that one as easily as I I am able to say with Christian, it is kind of what it is. Yeah, I think you have to kind of consider the whole group and say anytime you allow essentially 60 plus pressures on each side between these guys, I'd probably give the group grade a D. But it could have easily been an F if if they couldn't piece together ways to help, or you know, Jerron Christian didn't provide some sort of minor stability. And I think again, we were shown examples of like if Stefanski doesn't help them in the playoffs, the direct result of a couple interceptions, a uh, pressure allowed by both Hudson and and Christian. So like again, not good enough. You need this group to be much better last year. To your point, but if you're grading it on like a sliding scale of you know, we're in desperation mode here. This is like, what should we expect out of somebody arriving off the street? It could have been worse. It could have been worse. So I think D, D plus range for me salvages, you know, D's get degrees, right? That's what they say. They were passing enough, but they were like, quite clearly, if they didn't have some like teaching assistants sitting with them, helping them, they weren't going to even pass. So that's kind of the example to tie it all together there. So uh, the also thing, you know, you got to, you got to look at, individually Dewan Jones I thought was way above ex- expectation he played well his health will be something to monitor a human being that big whether he's driven to take care of his body the way a guy that big needs to you know a couple weird injuries happened this year he's important to the future because so of the three of them coming back this year between Jed Dewan and Jack Conklin I think you quite obviously feel about uh, best about Dewan is the future right so for the who stays who leaves I mean I think you and I are in agreement James Hudson is sort of fighting for his NFL life at this point in the fourth year of his rookie deal I think moving him inside as we have referenced is the best result for him to keep him around I don't think Jerron Christian is around anymore I think that that probably has run its course thank you for your service pat on the back gave him some money 
but they're probably drafting a tackle or or moving along the budget friendly swing tackle options to maybe find an answer there. But they do have leverage here, Andrew, to use a trade piece if they would like to use the trade piece, considering what they have. Could Jedrick Wills be moved? Could somebody get desperate for Jack Conklin and say, hey, we know he's coming off an injury. We'll give you a sixth, a fifth, something like that. That's certainly possible, right? So I think that like the if they bring back those three guys and draft a swing tackle or draft a potential future piece at that position, that's fine. But they do have some leverage here for making some improvements to their either draft stock or, you know, the depth of the of the of another position per se. That's correct. Yeah. So if you looking at the contracts, there's there's going to be four tackles coming back next year or five, I'm sorry, five. The fifth guy is uh, Leroy Watson will also be back. He's still on his rookie contract as well. So uh, in terms of moving on, the, the Browns can easily move on from James Hudson in the fourth year of his rookie deal. I doubt they will just because of how they've handled rookies that are getting to the end of their contract, but they could save a million dollars on the cap if they did move on. So it's possible, you know, they have the ability to get out of that contract. Obviously, same thing for, for Leroy Watson. You're going to, it's, it's all, all of his money comes off of the cap. So we'll see, but he he did play a little bit against Cincinnati on both sides, left and right, and handled himself well, acquitted himself pretty well. I thought compared to the other guys, which is obviously a, a relatively low bar. So those are your backup options on the roster. As far as your starters, you kind of, as you have mentioned, you've got three starters for two spots, right? Is the way that I kind of look at it. I know that Jed Wills has been average to below average at times. Jack Conklin has been when he's healthy and all pro, but is hurt quite often. And then Dewan Jones promising, but also I think, as you mentioned, some injury questions his first year. So the I, I think this is one of the central questions for the Browns of this offseason is how they resolve these three positions, specifically how they resolve the two uh, starters from 23 and whether they want both of those guys back as starters and ask Dewan Jones to sit on the bench, which I think would be a, a grievous mistake considering the the promise that he showed in year one, or if they want to try and move on. Now, the problem is, and you alluded to this, neither Jack Conklin nor Jedrick Wills provide the Browns with any cap relief if they are released. Conklin has a $13 million dead cap hit this year and then a, a, a sort of trickle of, of smaller $4.5 million dead caps the next two years, whereas Jed Wills has got a f- almost $15 million, $14.5 million dead cap hit because he's got that fifth-year option, which is fully guaranteed or almost fully guaranteed. So you end up with $14 million guaranteed. So there's no relief from cutting Jed Wills whatsoever. So the question, and you already mentioned it, is, is there a team out there that wants to trade a late round draft pick, something nominal, you know, wouldn't be a lot for either of these guys, but wants to trade something for either of these? Because if you think about it in the grand scheme of the NFL, $14 million on your 24 cap is not a big charge for a starting tackle. It's a pretty good deal. But with Conklin, you've got the injury issues. With Wills, you've got the inconsistency. Is there an offensive line coach that thinks that there's more to get out of one of these players? And it's crazy to say, Jake, but my mind immediately goes to Tennessee. That has been one of the worst offensive lines in the league year over year. 
And who is more familiar with these players than Bill Callahan? Yeah, it's a great idea. I mean, and can you can you steal a secondary piece from them to play the slot? Can you, you know, find some like desperation maybe to move Traylon Burks? I don't know. I'm just talking out loud here for a guy who's been disappointing there. You know, you right. there's, there's some interesting. Yeah, is it like a, a, a disappointing draft pick for a disappointing draft pick swap that you can mm-hmm. make? Mm-hmm. Definitely. So something to keep in mind. I mean, the, the tackle class at the top of the free agent group, I'm sorry, not the class. We'll talk free agent or uh, draft guys in a second. Tyron Smith, Trent Brown, Michael Onwenu, uh, who's uh, with the Patriots, Mekhi Becton, Jonah Williams. So that's like the top. I mean, the Browns are probably in like the, if they wanted to sort of get some more experienced swing tackle, you're talking like maybe George Fant or, or a Cam Fleming donovan smith type the the guy right in the middle there jermaine illuminor from uh, las vegas has some really nice pff grades i don't know a lot about the player i don't watch a lot of vegas but uh he's in the top 30 of the league the last two years so it's an that's an interesting name as a swing tackle yeah if you don't feel comfortable after you make a trade for example right if you're going to keep these guys then you're not even considering really any of these names you're probably drafting one but those are the names that are at the front of free agency. If they want to make that move, we'll see what they do. We got to get an answer on that before we can dig too deep into it. As far as draft goes, it's a nice tackle class, really. I mean, I, I could see as many as six guys going tackle wise in the first round. So you're talking about the realm of guys who are available, sort of around the Browns. Fifty-four, Patrick Paul, the Houston tackle, uh, Kingsley Suamatia. I think I'm, I'm trying I to like, get that I like right. him a lot. He's yeah. he was fun to watch this year. Yeah, the BYU kid. Then uh, Kansas's Dominic uh, Puni, who I think is a talented player. The other Notre Dame tackle, Blake Fisher, Christian Jones, Walter Rouse from Oklahoma, Javon Foster from Missouri. So there are names, and we'll dig into those in uh, uh, you know uh, mock drafts to come. I, I I do think the Browns will be invested in drafting offensive linemen to help protect themselves from what's coming. And uh, I, do, I do think that there's a, a path to using one of those picks in the 130 to 170, 180 range to get a player like that they can develop, that they feel like they can they can take a swing on. Yeah, something we'll also have to kind of dig around on, and this just requires a lot of brute force going through contract pages on, on over the cap, is are there any tackles that are kind of in a similar situation on other rosters where you mm-hmm. could – or, or a little bit lower where you could potentially spin a fourth or a fifth round pick a la the Amari Cooper trade and take on some salary if if you were able to move on from Wills. But there's a lot of moving pieces here. As I said before, I think how this gets resolved is the, the more I think about it, the wide receiver thing, I, I feel confident they can sort out because they've got space and assets. The, the problem with the tackle room is that they've committed to two tackles and then they're the best of the three of them might be the third guy that doesn't cost anything. So yeah. how they manage that is really, it's, I think it's the key question of, of the off season because I don't, I think it would be, as I said before, a big mistake to bring all three of those guys back. I think it would be cutting either selling Dewan Jones short or you're paying $15 million for a player to sit on the bench. So either way is not good. And I'll just say, on the way out the door, I hate to be negative, that Jack Conklin contract was a question mark when it was signed. And a year later, it looks really, really bad for the Browns. Like, he's he's on the on the hook for a big number this year. It's Even if you move on from him, it's $5 million the next two years and then a little bit 
kind of out the door. And I, I think he's old, old enough and has had enough injuries that I don't think you can trade him. I think if they move anybody, it's got to be Wills. You are potentially looking at a situation where you have to keep Conklin, hope he can stay healthy. And if he can't, if you do move on from Wills, now you're if you've got Jones at left tackle, you now maybe need somebody in Conklin's spot and you've got him on the cap for $15 million. I think it was, I'm, I don't think this was entirely hindsight. I think there were a lot of people saying, I know they're trying to get out in front of the tackle market a little bit with that deal, but a player with his injury history and at his age, I, I, that one just has really sticks out to me as a, as a miscalculation from Andrew Barry on, in terms of where the tackle market now, maybe he comes back this year and is a pro bowl player again. And I would be thrilled to be wrong, but I just think, I think it's worth mentioning when we're reviewing this, that he's painted himself into a little bit of a corner here. Andrew Barry has. So when, so when that deal signed, your risk, the immediate risk is we don't we don't want to play with what we don't know in the tackle market, which is we feel like we have a roster that can compete. We want to keep that intact, right? Like we want to keep that in a good place and attack assets at other spots. Now, I think that what Andrew has to kind of take into account moving forward is is sort of <laughs> to me being able to fill these spots with swing assets like being able to find some of those answers right i guess what i'm getting at is i think you can make an argument the browns made a mistake by signing him to the deal they did given his injury history although this injury was pretty freaky i think even if this happened to the healthiest of o-line in the way that jed's player sort of swung into his knee i mean i guess i'm saying he didn't do it just running or block like he was just anchoring his side and a guy got slung into his knee so the injury wasn't uh one that i would consider like perpetually hurt type of guy even though it is a risk i i guess, I guess like I, I go back and forth on a little bit of what you're saying andrew with that uh i know that they they didn't necessarily want to dip their toe into the market and who could have known that Dewan jones would be there and it would work out the way it worked out but i do think that risking jack conklin is something that you ha- at, the, at the time i would have to imagine those guys were sitting there saying we're taking a risk here that could end up biting us is the point point. and i think they're in the part where it bit them if they didn't draft one we'd be like okay jack's going this year and and uh jedrick's going on the other side right like that would be what we were thinking but at your to your point of originally it is a disservice to consider dewan jones your swing tackle because he needs to play. He needs to keep developing and consistently be on the field. And then you're also saying, okay, well, if we're going to do that, now we have a swing tackle in Conklin or Jed who are overpriced. And that's not an outcome you want either. So like I, I, the clear idea here is they don't have a definition for their three guys. Sometimes you have this perfectly set up where you have a lower cap number third player to be your third tackle who like, again, Chris Hubbard type who just knows that role. They have three guys who want to play. So they have to resolve it. They have to resolve it. again. They took a swing on Conklin that they could afford to make that move and it would work out and he would be healthy and it, and it, and it hasn't worked out. I'm sure Andrew would say that that didn't go the way that he was hoping it would go. So, and you're absolutely right. You don't know Dewan Jones is going to be there. I, I think there's, to me, there's less terrifying things than having to enter the tackle market and free agency as a need because I th- I think what they paid what they paid Conklin is about what you would be paying for any of the free agent right tackles this year. So 
doesn't feel to me like it represents much of a savings over what they could have gotten. And, and to your point, if they were able to settle for something a little bit less than an all pro price player, because they're, they, they're paying Conklin top of the market money. So yeah, yeah, I, I understand that there is, there is a level of hindsight. And I think, yeah, when you're building, they built this roster for a two year, 23, 24 window where all the contracts are sort of lined up. You want Conklin to be one of those contracts that's lined up. You don't want to have a hole on the offensive line going into 2024, but it's kind of like the quarterback thing, the cornerback position where it's not the worst thing in the world to have three good players. But I guess the thing that I really want to put my, my foot down on or plant my flag on is that Dewan Jones needs to be playing week one next year. Yeah, that's a, that's a very fair and valid point. Jed's here. He needs to play. You don't pick up a fifth year option for a guy who's going to sit around. So that leaves Conklin or using Jed as some sort of trade asset, whether someone out there views right. him as a trade asset, we will see, but I'm with you on Dewan Jones needs to be playing for the betterment of the future of the Cleveland Browns. So they're in a bit of a tricky spot. You know, like you said, the good point here is that you didn't have to do this with Jack Conklin. You could have entered the free agent tackle market and probably found an answer in a tier similar, at least for an aging player. So we'll see, but it is to the point. There are three playable tackles here. So it's not the end of the world. We'll just hope that they can navigate it to get the most out of it. So there we go. All right, that's tackle. We'll get to interior offensive line. Tomorrow, centers and guards, but that's a wrap. So we're going to close this podcast up. I want to appreciate you guys for stopping by, making it a part of your day. I know Andrew and I appreciate that. Rate and review the pod if you can. Appreciate that a great amount on both Spotify and Apple where you find the podcast. You guys are doing great with that. Uh, Otherwise, listen, be well, go Browns, and have a fantastic Tuesday. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.